Welcome to Football Neophyte, where an American who knows a lot about sports, but little about soccer, uh, football, journeys through the 2018-19 English Premier League season to discover a team to root for. I'm your host, Nate Hughes. Welcome to this week's episode of Football Neophyte Podcast. As always, it's me, Nate Hughes. And today we have from Baltimore, Maryland, Paul Dorsey. He is at BHAFC Stateside on Twitter and Instagram. And I am super thankful for you staying up a little late this evening to chat with me. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me on, Nate. Yeah, this is great. So I got to know, how does, how does a guy in Baltimore become a fan of, of the Brighton Club? Honestly, um, it was pretty random. I, I guess I'm a fan of a of an underdog. So I started following the team in 2012. I was trying to kind of find a team that wasn't one of the top six teams, you know, Chelsea, Man United. Yeah. Uh, and I just kind of fell into the lap of Brighton in the championship and kind of followed the games a little bit, followed on, you know, BBC and just kept up with the scores and all. And then when they made the championship semifinal against Crystal Palace, you know, it's a huge rivalry. The fans were really into it on Twitter and social media. And I just felt just such a, a sense of community that I didn't necessarily feel was the same way with the big clubs in the Premier League at that point. And I just, I fell in love with them immediately and, and was really taken with it and its history from there. Yeah, so that's, I mean, it's one thing to, to pick an underdog, right? <laughs> but it's another thing to choose a team that's in the, sh- the championship. So yeah. walk me through that. Like, I don't even know where I would find a, cha- a game, a championship game, right? So yeah, you're, was- you're seeking out a team and you end up choosing a club that's in the championship. Yeah, and especially in 2012, you could really, you couldn't really watch any games. You could barely hear any games on radio. Um, it was a lot of just following on social media, the, the club, and then following some of the blogs that were about it. Um, you know, I honestly really don't know how I picked Brighton. Um, I don't really know what the thought process was there, but it just kind of happened and started following some blogs. North Stand Chat's a really good blog for Brighton. Um, content and they just you know all the the Brighton fans just really seem to have you know a sense of of community it was definitely more of a community oriented club instead of you know just Man United or Chelsea or Arsenal where they have such a a global presence you know you people in America who don't really care about soccer will still throw on an Arsenal shirt just because it's cool yeah Um, and I think that I liked Brighton a little bit more because people actually cared if you're wearing something, if you're caring about Brighton, if you're following the team, you actually have an emotional connection. And I thought that was really cool. Um, and it just, that's something that I really care about. I'm a huge sports fan in general. And I, you know, I'm really big into just having that connection with that team. Um, and, and it just, it just ended up working out that it, that was Brighton for me and it's been Brighton for six years now and, and it's only gotten better with time. That's amazing. So really like it wasn't the kits. It wasn't, there was nothing that stands out to you as like a reason, you know, when I started this journey um, and actually probably the next episode I record is going to have 
kind of a 0.5 behind it because I'm going to kind of go back and look at some of my initial criteria and I change some things and add some stuff because I've realized just how much things have evolved as I've watched matches. But when I started, it was kit color, um, how many Americans have been on their team historically, things like that that are somewhat arbitrary. So nothing like that. You just kind of stumbled upon them. Yeah, yeah, it just – you know, I just kind of stumbled upon it. And, you know, obviously that semifinal against Crystal Palace, we lost. It was really tough to take, especially, you know, for the fans that had been with the team for so long. You know, I was just kind of getting into it. I didn't really know what the rivalry was, what the passion was. But, you know, just seeing that and understanding that as a newcomer and, and just, you know, even as a newcomer, feeling – a part of the community from the people who were in it. Um, you know, that just definitely made me feel like, you know, this is something that I can see myself following even in the championship, even though I can't watch the games. It's something that definitely, you know, has an emotional connection with people. And, and I started to feel that way too. Yeah. That's amazing. That's It makes me feel like maybe I should have started uh, with teams in the championship, right? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's a lot easier nowadays because you can watch the games on ESPN on the internet. Um, you know, uh, BN Sports had games before as well in the championship. That's how I followed Brighton the last couple of years they were there. Um, so it was definitely a lot easier as time went on, as people in America started to follow soccer a lot more. Um, and rights started to get picked up by TV channels here. Um, but now that we're in the, the Premier League, I mean, you can watch every game. You can watch highlights whenever you want. It's, it's a completely different world than when I started following. Yeah, it's been really great for me as a as a newcomer to the sport to be able to pretty much see as many of the matches as I can, you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, tell me a little bit about the history of the club. What what should I know about about their history? What did what have you found fascinating over the last six years as you followed them? Yeah, so um, the club started in 1901. Um, started, they were pretty low level. Never really got to the premier or well the premier league started in the 90s but the first division of english soccer they never really got up to that point until the 80s um and in the 80s they made it to the fa cup final which is until we got to the premier league that was the pivotal moments of our existence was getting to the first division being there for a couple of years and then being in the fa cup final almost having a chance to beat man united in that wow uh, replay and Man United destroyed us in the replay (laughs) but we got to almost the pinnacle of English football in the 80s then after that because we lost and then we uh we lost the FA Cup final and then we got relegated from the first division and the uh the money started to dry up and eventually in the 90s the ownership of the team was like we're in way too much debt. We need to sell the ground that we own. Oh wow. To clear the debts. So the owners at that time sold the stadium right out from under us and we were homeless wow. for pretty much we were homeless until the Amex opened in twenty eleven, but we had a stadium that was a track and field stadium in Brighton from 90, 1999 to 2011. We wow. played a team 
for 12 or so years. But before that, between when we sold our ground and when we went to the track and field stadium, we played in Gillingham, which is about 70 miles away for home games oh. for years. So we were pretty much down and out at that point. We were in the fourth division of English football. Um, we almost got relegated into non-league football, so non-professional football. We were the last game of the season in 1997. We were a kick away, really, from being relegated to the fifth tier non-professional football. Ended up drawing to stay up in the fourth division. Got into the into Gillingham, played there for a couple of years. Went to the Whitfield Stadium back in Brighton. Thank God we were back home at that point. Yeah. Um, but still not at a soccer stadium. It was not really somewhere that was comfortable for everybody. It was just a stepping stone, somewhere to put the team uh, for the time, be- the time being. Um, and then eventually Tony Bloom, who's the owner now, got involved, helped build the Amex, got council approval from community leaders in Brighton and Sussex, the county, to build the stadium in Falmer um, and eventually in 2011 built the stadium. We were still in league one at that point, third division. Um, and then since then, since we've had the new stadium, which is pretty much state of the art. Um, and we've built a training ground in Lansing, which is a couple towns over from Brighton state of the art there too. Just the, the resurgence of the team and the influx of money from people who actually have a an emotional connection with the team who actually care. It's not just, you know, money from God knows where. It's yeah. Who actually have an emotional connection with, you know, with the team first and having the team succeed and really having that community connection with the club because the community really saved the club in a lot of ways, kept them in Brighton, helped them build a stadium after the sa- after their stadium got sold. And it's just, Really, now it's because Brighton, the team, was saved by Brighton City. Now that we're in the Premier League and now that we have all the, the keys to success for the club, the club's now really focusing on paying it back to the city for saving them. That's great. It's interesting. Last week or last episode was with uh, a Bournemouth fan and it's interesting to hear some of the parallels, you know, you would think with all the money flowing in and out of, of the premier league that, you know, once you're in the premier league, you pretty much stay. And obviously there's three teams every year that get relegated, but to hear now Brighton's story to hear Bournemouth story last week about, you know, being in this, the lowest tier, you know, of professional football and being able to come back from that is I think one of the beauties of, of football, right? We don't have that in American sports to, to be on the brink of basically becoming a non-professional club to then yeah. be able to come all the way back and play in the first tier, not just play in the highest level of competition, but really for both those clubs to be playing at a, at a high level and being relatively successful, you know? Um, so it's, it's one of the beautiful things about, about English football. Uh, what is, what's the, what's the main, 
song for your team or what's one of your favorite kind of chants or songs for, for Brighton? So every time the players run out onto the pitch, they go out to good old Sussex by the sea, which is definitely a, an old folk song for the uh, County of Sussex. Um, since Brighton's the only team in Sussex, um, they definitely have the connection with the whole county. Um, and it's just, it's, it's one of those songs that it, it's kind of a silly song. It's kind of a stupid song, but it's, de it's definitely just that, you know, it's, this is our team and this is our, this is where we're from. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because really like, mo I would actually argue that most of the, the chants and most of the songs are somewhat silly. You know, they're, they're derivations of another song or it's a just straight rip off of a, of another song. And, but when you hear them chanted or you're sitting in uh, space with people as they're singing them or chanting them, you really feel the emotion of it. Um, yeah we walked over my co coworker and I walked over to a Liverpool bar on, I don't know what that was Wednesday or Thursday, Tuesday or Wednesday champions league. And he's a Liverpool fan. So I just walked over there with him just to catch the last like 15 minutes of their match. And there were probably 20 people in there. Uh, but it was such a beautiful atmosphere. It's really like getting, getting me amped up to, to catch a match someday in, in England um and experience the, the passion of the fans yeah absolutely i was just in brighton actually um about a week ago or so for the uh the brighton palace match oh nice being in the stadium singing along to sussex by the sea and and just having that the fans just behind you because it's, it's one thing to watch the games and to have that that connection on twitter but to actually be in the stadium, to see other fans of the team that you're so passionate about and to sing those songs with them, it's, it's, it's otherworldly, honestly. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to whenever that happens uh, for me. Well, let's talk about today's match. Um, obviously not the result you would want um, and really not even the form you'd want for the first half, half of the match yeah. or maybe even the first two thirds, but um, let's talk about that a little bit. First, first question I had was they start off with a four five one formation. And I was just curious mm -hmm. if that's the typical configuration for, for the club or, uh, was it something new they were trying? We've, uh, so, so far this year, we've primarily focused on having, and really last year too, we've had one striker up front and we've had somebody just above the rest of the midfield. So generally Pascal Gross, sometimes Solly March um, to be the facilitator between the midfield and Glenn Murray, the striker, Florin Andoni has come into the striker role a couple of times this season for us too. So definitely somebody to facilitate the attack if there is an attack. Again, today we didn't really, it, until the second half, have much of an opportunity on the front foot. Um, and we've been playing like that a lot so far this year against the bigger clubs we've generally tried to stay back and not allow goals if we yeah. get a goal that's great but especially against Chelsea or, or Man City any of the bigger clubs I think the primary focus 
at least from the coaching staff's perspective, is minimize, you know, the other team scoring and hope that we can nick something on the other end if we get a, a free kick or a corner or something like that, a counterattack. Um, and honestly, that, that worked a lot last year. Sometimes, though, especially with the mistakes today with Balogun making a that pass that he made to lead up to the second Chelsea goal was yeah what you don't want to happen if you're playing back. Um, we've had a couple of times where playing back has come at a disadvantage because then once you give up a goal, then you have to start playing forward and that leads you up to potentially be more vulnerable to be scored on more times than not. Yeah. You mentioned Balogun. Like obviously the one pass was, was horrible and led to a goal, but it seemed like there were a couple other passes like that that just were not well struck. And is that, is that typical of him is, is I don't know. I've never watched a, a Brighton match. So this is my first time. So is mm-hmm. what's, what's your thought? What are your thoughts on him? So he's a new player for us this year. We signed him in the summer transfer window. So he hasn't had much of an opportunity in the first team this season. Um, but he's been when I the the game against Crystal Palace, for example, that I was at, he he scored, which was amazing. But he also was really um really good defensively. He made a lot of good plays to keep Palace at bay. Uh they really didn't get anything going on the attack that game. And then even before that, a couple of games that he's come in because he's not really he hasn't started a lot of games we've had um Shane Duffy in. Uh, generally in the center uh, center back position. So Balogun's come in because he's been on the three-match ban. Um, so he hasn't had a lot of playing time. So it's hard to really tell if he's – if this is something that he's prone to do. You know, the Crystal Palace match was maybe an aberration. That was just the really good game that he had. Um, but honestly, I mean – he, it looked like he, he just had a bad day. I'm not really sure. I hope that it was just a one-off and that it, it, there's more Crystal Palace performances in him than Chelsea performances, but yeah, uh, we shall see, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned Duffy. I saw that he was suspended, and it said his second of three matches, but mm-hmm. for some reason I, I was under the impression that a red card was – you got obviously kicked out of that game, and then I thought it was one match, but – is that am I mistaken? So for a straight red card, which which is what Duffy got, it's uh, a three match ban after the match that you've already been to spare, uh, you know, sent off from. So got it. Payne Duffy was given a straight red. It wasn't two yellows. He got sent off immediately, and so he's out for three matches now. Got it. So if if it's uh, if it's two yellows equaling a red, is that a one match mm-hmm. ban? Yeah, so that's just that's got it. Okay, so straight red, three match ban. Right. What did he do? <laughs> he uh, so after um, in the the Palace match, Brighton should have gotten. That's maybe a little biased, but should have gotten another penalty after Glenn Murray got the first penalty. Um, Murray went down in the box again, um, and there was a little tussle around the referee in the uh, the resulting melee after the corner and uh duffy 
may or may not have headbutted one of the Crystal Palace players. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I didn't personally see it, and the highlights can be, you know, edited. So I, I, I don't know, but okay. Well, someone saw it. Someone thought it happened, right? And <laughs> so three matches, he's he's out. So okay. Yeah. And we talked about Murray a little bit already, and I was excited to watch him because, you know, he's, I don't know, second in goal scored or, you know, at least he has nine and a couple of the other guys have 10. So, um, but he seemed non-existent. I'm curious, is that more of a result of playing that four five one configuration and not being able to get anything going to him? Was Chelsea yes. playing him special? Like, what was the deal with that? Uh, sometimes with him, it's just a matter of he's he's kind of old, and okay. he doesn't really, he's not able to get up the pitch as fast or as nimbly as a striker, a faster striker would be, or a younger striker would be able to. But also just the fact that we were playing back today, I think, was another result, a resulting factor as to why he wasn't having such a uh, a prolific day today. Um, and honestly, he's had a great season, and he's been a, a great striker for Brighton so far. But a lot of his goals are just because he's just got that natural instinct of being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, and also, he's had a couple of penalties. So that's, you know, not exactly a skillful goal. It's just a, a goal from a penalty, which obviously you have to have some skill to score, but it's not that he's, you know, scoring a goal from midfield on a great kick or something. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So then what was the decision to sub him out in the 60th minute? Is that common? Is it because he's old? <laughs> <laughs> I think that it was just due to the fact that we needed some pace in the attack. We needed something to go for because we were down by two goals at that point. Yeah. So we needed to just have something going and Florin and Doni's and, you know, the, the, all the, uh, um, a lot of the, or Basuma, I think, came in too. He, those two played really well in the, the Crystal Palace match, which is really like the, the catalyst for everything that's gone forward so far after that, I think. Um, I think that Chris Hewton is like, okay, maybe we should try to get some pace in the attack. These are new players for the team too this year, so they're just, trying to get them involved any way they can, especially if we're down by two goals, kind of trying to be creative, get some pace in it, get something going to maybe get some excitement in the team because obviously Murray hadn't really been able to get anything going against Chelsea. So maybe, you know, just try something different, try something a little bit, you know, wider, a little bit more, you know, attacking focused instead of just trying to stay back because obviously you can't score goals if you're staying back. Yeah. Well, and it seemed to work too. I think there was a couple of things I noticed in this match that were particularly striking to me. First was right as the second half started, uh, the fans seemed to be a bit more lively when the team would make a good play or when there was just a bit of uh, something, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's something I, I, I find intriguing about the sport as well is it does seem like there's more intimacy between the fans and the teams than any other sport. And it, it seemed to rally the team and maybe I'm reading into it too much, but it seemed like there was like, there was energy being transferred from the fans to the team. And then, uh, and then around the 60th minute, I mean, they, they definitely played much better in the second half overall, but it really seemed like in that final third, uh, 
right around the time that, that they subbed Murray off, the team seemed to just hit a different gear. And obviously you get the Marsh goal and that energizes everyone when you're one away from an equalizer, especially against a club like Chelsea. Um, and so I, I just found that, I found that fascinating uh, to see the tide change and see the, the fans kind of swell a bit uh, right. during that second half. Yeah, I think that there was just a sense of urgency because with a two-goal lead, it, it's not that one goal can get you back into it. And obviously, um, you know, we, we have a, a tendency to – maybe get a little bit too complacent with the way that we're playing at certain points of the game, especially when we're playing defensively and we're just trying to stay back and make passes and get something going up the field. I think that the fans were sensing that, you know, we're still losing and we're down by two goals. So we have to get a goal now so that maybe we can get another one because we have to get back in the match somehow. And it has to happen at some point. Um, and I think that, that was really, you know, I think that that sense of urgency from the fans resonated with the players too and then with the more attacking players that came on as subs I think that that was really something that obviously we didn't get both goals that we needed but it led to the one goal yeah we did get from Solly March and it just you know it's very indicative of just the way that I, I feel like soccer fans especially um, you know, especially Brighton fans, at least in terms of the fact that we we know that we're going to be playing a certain way against the bigger clubs. We're going to be playing more defensively. And then once we get ourselves into a hole, we have to get ourselves out somehow. A tie is a good draw is a good result. So we just needed to get back in that position. And, you know, honestly, we we don't risk it very much so i think that the fans especially i mean i i understand i think a little bit why we're being so defensive in these games but it's it's still not exactly great to watch and i think that yeah maybe get a little frustrated with it uh even if we do understand it we just want the team to go up the field a little bit more be a little bit more adventurous try something different because you know Two no defeats are never fun. Yeah, for sure. All right, so it also looked like towards the end of the match, I don't know, it was 86, 87th minute, that uh, Alonzo should have been given a red card uh, on that foul. He's given a yellow. But what is your perspective on that, as unbiased as you can be? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, as, as a Brighton fan, I'm uh, definitely of the opinion that he should have been given a red card. Um, it looked like Solly March was going to be free on goal. He was going to get around him. And Alonzo just pulls him down. And as the last defender, that's generally and should be considered a red card for disrupting a goal-scoring opportunity. But apparently the ref saw it differently. I don't necessarily know how, but yeah. he did. Um, and... I guess either way, Sally March flew the the resulting free kick over the bar, so I guess it didn't really matter a whole ton. But at the same time, it was it was a bit of a disappointment, especially at that key point of the game, to not have that extra lifeline. Yeah. 
yeah, even with four to, you know, six minutes left, you want whatever opportunity you can get. And even if you're, if you're a man up with the last few minutes, you might have a better opportunity to score too. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, each week we do a, a term of the week uh, to help inform me about the sport a little more. And then if any of my listeners are neophytes as well, um, to help us understand what we hear or what we see or what we read when we're, we're watching the game of football. So, uh, this week's term of the week is match or fixture. And so I'd love for you, Paul, to explain, explain that term a little bit for us. Yeah. So definitely matches is pretty, Self-explanatory, I think it's matchup between two teams, same as in tennis. So it's a, it's a fairly um, understandable concept, probably. Um, fixture, though, is a little bit more complicated, but not, not really. So fixture is basically just a match in a league setting. So um, basically thinking of it as like a, it's a fixture of daily life, that sort of, you know, terminology. So Uh it's just a part of, it's a game in the league season. Got it. So um, to get even more complicated and convoluted, a tie is a match in like a cup setting. So like an FA cup match would be an FA cup tie. Uh Uh-huh. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a draw. It's a, yeah (laughs) so it's that's why it's a draw instead of a tie it's it's, it gets it gets complicated but yeah no that is but that is so helpful so i didn't realize so match is just a match right it's yeah match is pretty straight up any game. game yeah a fixture is a match or a game in the league setting and then a tie is a match in a cup setting right and then I assume then the alternative would be a friendly or no, that's more between countries. That can be, so a lot of clubs um, have preseason friendlies. So Brighton has preseason friendlies a lot in Europe. So they'll go to Austria or France and they'll play some friendlies against French teams or whatever in the, in the preseason. Um, and then like the preseason tours that Man United and all have in the, in the States, those will be friendlies against whatever teams they're playing over here. Got it. So a Champions League match would be a tie? Yeah. Okay. Or, or is that only like a National Cup? It's – no, that's, that's a good – I'm not actually sure. <laughs> that, that, I mean, I, we're probably getting too far into the weeds here, but it's right, definitely helpful. Don't make the Champions League, so I don't really know about that. <laughs> you haven't used that term. Whatever, whatever term that is, you haven't used that term yeah, exactly. in, in your lifetime, right? So, Well, that's super helpful. I actually thought, coming into this conversation, I thought match and fixture were interchangeable. And so now I understand, and this is very helpful for understanding all this terminology that we don't use here in the States. So, yeah. Well, Paul, I am super thankful for this. Um, I loved cheering uh, Brighton on today and uh, it was, it was a blast talking to you today. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on. Sorry. It couldn't be 
a better result for the Seagulls today. But uh, but definitely thank you for having me on, and hopefully we can have some better results going forward. For sure. And you are at BHAFC stateside on Twitter and Instagram, so I will keep up with you there as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Have a, have a great one. Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Football Neophyte Podcast. Our theme song is Something Elated by Broke for Free. Thanks to One Mission, a community development organization giving people in poverty the opportunity to earn a house by serving their community. If you like these podcasts, go to onemission.org slash donate and donate to this amazing organization. 100% of your donation will go directly to our projects and programs and be tied directly to a family. That's onemission.org slash donate. Recording, mixing, etc. is still done by me, Nate Hughes. Just rocking and rolling this bad boy by myself. We're on iTunes and Google Play. Please rate us and comment if you enjoy the podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Football Neophyte. That's Football Neophyte without the E. Stay tuned for episode 10.5. I've now observed half of the Premier League teams, and it's time to revisit some of my criteria and add some new ones. Until then, grace, peace, and love. Well, we did get a header. That headshot would you hit someone when you hit it and it hit someone that you kick it and it hit them in the head. Do so you throw it? No. Mm-hmm. No, it's actually yeah. breathe me for once. You breathe me for once. Oh, look at that girl. She got that chocolate.